Welcome into part two of our conversation with the fantastic uh, Barry Darsot. You, I, I'm not, I don't even know uh, how to get back into it. So you know what? We're just going to go ahead and uh, we're going to do it because uh, Mick and Joe, uh, there was a lot of really cool stuff. Joe, I'm surprised that he's going to come back after the way that you basically just gave him the middle finger and you called him a fraud. You called him a fake. No, 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 no. Like you I, did. You're like, like, why are you such a poser? Like I said, the choice of one word mm-hmm. was was inappropriate. Not inappropriate. I should have stated it differently. As I apologize. Mm-hmm. Not a knockoff. Mm-hmm. There was the resemblance, but let's give demolition their due. They set their place in professional wrestling history. I'm going to call you Scandinavian Ron from now on. How do you like that? Not Polish Joe. I you know, not only that, Chupik, but here's the deal. The train <laughs> left the station, and unfortunately for you, Barry Darso was the engineer. And uh, I, I would advise you to get off the tracks <laughs> you know, uh, and and let's uh, you know let let's go back to Barry and and pretend that horribly insulting conversation never happened. I think we need to have a cage match, and Mick, you can start it, and I'll stay in the corner and wait for you to take. You know what, Joe? Here comes the axe, and here comes the smasher, the demolition, walking disaster. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be back again. I love you guys. Barry, Barry, I, I, I want to back sp- after my. Uh, Intentional dig or knock at the, at the demolition, not my hey, intention. Hey, you know what's great about the wrestling business is there's heels and there's baby faces, and you're right. definitely a heel. There's no doubt about it. Yep. Yep. Got a little little heat ski, as they say. Um, Barry, before we before we get into the meat and potatoes of uh, this episode, I. I one of my favorite memories, uh, back in about, God, I don't know, early 90s, you were doing the Blacktop Bully, which incidentally, of all the stuff that you did, that was my favorite. So I thought, you know, this is this is a lock. I mean, this is perfect for, for, uh, for Barry. But I, I brought you into a, a cable TV studio, and I don't know what show we were promoting. One of the local independent promoters had brought you in, and... The first thing you did was you said that you were driving all night from Chicago or wherever it was, and you came down 94 and you came to the studio and you were looking for a place to park your truck. And you said, you know, you guys could have at least expanded the size of the parking lot. And I said to you, where did you wind up parking? And you said, there were a couple of cars parked there. I just drove the truck right in on top of them. That's where I'm parked. So that was that was the first thing, which was just tremendous. And then you said I you said something about I don't like coming to Minnesota. The only reason I come here is to go fishing. There goes the cat. Um, to, to go fishing, he said, and I've made all these phone calls since I've been here, and you just got all red faced and you're screaming. Nobody wants to go fishing with me. Why doesn't anybody want to go fishing? I, and those, you know, it's 30 years later, and that's still one of my favorite moments. I just loved it, man. Wasn't that fun back then? Back oh, the my day? God. Yeah. Nothing nothing scripted. You know, this is what we're going to talk about for the next five minutes or ten minutes. You went out and winged it. I Great love it. Stuff. Great stuff. Yeah. All right. Who's All right. On? Uh, I, I wanted to ask you, Barry, because, you know, at the end of the last episode, you were talking about, you know, your relationship with Vince and everything that he did, you know, for you and, and for the business. I know from a fan's perspective, you know, we look at the WWE Hall of Fame and you can look at it one of two ways. You know, people look at, well, it's it's manufactured. It's not a real wrestling Hall of Fame because it's what they believe it to be. But then there are some fans that are like, you know, it, it's it's validity and you look at all of these names that are in there, but I feel like the success that you and Bill Eady had, you would be deserving of a spot in that WWE Hall of Fame. Have you been approached? No. Why hasn't it intruded? 
it should be you know, it, I, it should be you guys. Yeah, I don't I don't really know what uh, you know. There's there's probably 15 people in a in a room that decide who's going to be in the Hall of Fame, and you know I I really don't know why we're not. It would be great to be in there, but you know it's nothing that we can do. Um, I know there's been some heat somewhere, and I don't know where or what it is, but you know a, a lot of times. In wrestling, you know, you might have beat somebody up in the ring or something or did something wrong, and they're the ones that are in charge, and they'll say, hey, they'll never be in the Hall of Fame. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. But, you know, I just got to look at it where if they think we're good enough, we'll get in one day, you know? Well, you know what? From my perspective, Barry, you know, it would be a feather in your cap, but um, – it's it's not a vital. It would be a cherry on the Sunday. I mean, you guys, you and Bill bit, built such a tremendous legacy over the years. You know, it would just be icing on the cake. But I mean, you're you're certainly a Hall of Fame guy and a Hall of Fame team in our eyes, no question about well, it. Well, well, I appreciate that, and and like I said before, I'm Barry Darso, and the wrestler is secondary, and you know, it would be a huge, huge thing to be in it but if not i'm the happiest guy in the world in fact you know i tell my son all the time i said i'm the luckiest guy in the world i i've done everything and i got a million friends i'm uh i'm i'm alive you know so many of our friends have died and and i got a great family my wife my son everybody you know i i look back at you know kurt hennig and rick rude and the road warriors and you know, Brian Adams, my old partner, you know, all these guys, it's just like, it's so sad. And, you know, I, I talked to Rick, you know, the day, in fact, I was down there like two days before he died. And I, I talked to Kurt the day before he died. And, oh. You know, it, it just, it, it's, it's unbelievable that, you know, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. You, you know, Barry, you, you look back on that time and that, that's a great segue because, Tom Zink, Kurt Hennig, uh, you know, Rick Rude, so many of those guys from that era, for whatever reason, you know, their own, you know, personal choices or whatever, aren't here to talk about it all these years later, which makes no sense. Kurt would just be 64 years old right now, and he's been gone for 20 years. He could, you know, certainly still have a place in the business. When you look back on that, and the stuff that maybe they got into or the, or the things that they were doing back in the day that you didn't do is, is, is there, was there a reason? Did you have enough foresight to say, Hey, you know what? I, I can't get into this stuff. I want to be around for a while. You know, I, I don't know exactly what everybody was doing. I, you know, yeah. what was great, you know, I, I had, when I got together with Bill Eady, not and Mr. Fuji, a minute there, guys. Yeah, are you there? Because I see no. you. I see him there. Yep. Yeah. We may well, we got I can him. hear you. I can hear you guys. Yeah, I think we're good. We got. Yeah. Him. You know, one one thing that, like I said, we were. I was pretty grounded being with Bill Eady, and we kind of stayed by ourselves. We, you know, went to the gym by ourselves. We did everything away from a lot of people, but I, I think what what got a lot of the guys were, you know, you're wrestling, you know, 28 days a month or 30 days, whatever it is. And you're hurt and you take a pain pill and pretty soon that pain pill leads to two pain pills. And then months go by and now all of a sudden you're taking three pain pills. Pretty soon five years are going by. You can't sleep anymore, so now you're taking a sleeping pill along with the pain pills. Now you're taking five pain pills and three sleeping pills. And then, you know, you're you're drinking some beer, you're doing whatever you're doing, and then there's no sleep. And you don't even know that what you're doing to your body. And your body isn't telling you to stop right. until it's too late. And I think that's what's, what happened to pretty much every one of the guys. It's... It's pain pills, it's sleeping pills, it's no sleep, it's stress, it's, you know, all that. And it's nothing against what they've done. It just that's was kind of part of the life. And and I, to this day, 
I I don't sleep. I, I went to bed last night about midnight. I looked up at the I got a clock on the ceiling. It said three fifty eight I was up. And I was thinking of how am I gonna finish this garage, do this two hour interview with you guys and and you know, see my grandkids at three o'clock and do all this stuff. And I've had so many concussions and so many different things. There's some things I can remember better than anything, other things I can't remember. But I never took that stuff. I never took sleeping pills, never took the painkillers, none of that stuff. And I think that's what saved me. Wow. Man. You know, that's, uh, well, I mean, it, it's, we're delighted that you're still with us and, you know, mm-hmm. sad that the others aren't. That's the side of the business, Barry, and I know you know this very well. The average wrestling fan looks at the glitz and the glamour. You know, yeah. and if you live in Chicago or Milwaukee or whatever, and the WWF comes into town, you figure, oh, well, you know what? This is special. We're the town. You know, we get them. But, you know, the people don't stop to realize for the last 27, 28 days, the guys have been on the road. They don't see that side of the business. And unfortunately, right. sometimes it takes a toll. Right. You know, and, and it was easier to be in a tag team because if I got hurt, you know, Bill or Ivan or Nikolai or whoever my partner was, Jim Neidhart, they could cover for you for a day or two, you know. Right. Those, right. you know, Rick or Kurt or those guys are in single matches. They got to work through it every night. And if you don't perform, you lose your job. Wow. Man. Well, it's a dose of reality. So, mm-hmm. um, The other thing that the fans don't understand, um, I've, had, I've had people uh, – comment about wrestlers all a 10 minute match and they're making a million dollars no it's not just 10 minutes that they're working there's the travel time there's getting to the arena that's it's working out it's all a part of the job beating beating the living shit out of your body is a drop that's the easy part is going in the ring yeah traveling for work is not easy yeah all right well we're gonna shift gears because i want to talk to you about a lot of the guys that you worked with over the years in some capacity or another and uh i don't know if you'll be able to see the screen uh barry or not but uh, chris is going to put up uh some pictures of the guys and as he puts them up i will ask you uh your memories of them some from the you know different territories um the glory days of wrestling. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, before I forget, you said that the blacktop bully last week, you said the blacktop bully was your favorite character. Yeah. I, I just think, and as I said, you slid into that character. It was, it was absolutely like this guy is a blacktop bully. I don't want to meet this guy out in the parking lot. And I think in a lot of ways that may be the difference in pro wrestling today where the wrestlers are more or less TV stars. Right. And a lot of people know they're playing a role back in the day, guys like you and animal and Hawk and rude. There was some believability. This guy's a badass, and I'm not going to screw around with him. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, you know how I got that name blacktop bully. Hmm. Quick story. We're, Rick Flair's the booker, and he calls me up. He says, Barry, he says, I want you to be a truck driver, and you got to come up with the name and all that stuff. And I said, a truck driver? What do I, I don't want to be a truck driver. He says, Barry, we need a truck driver. I said, okay. So I called up Arn Anderson, and I called up Bobby, and I said, guys, we got to meet in Bobby's garage tonight. we got to get a case of beer, and let's let's talk. So we get in the garage. Oh. Oh, that couldn't have happened at a better time in terms of the suspense is killing me. Uh, what happened right. after the couple so, of years? So anyways, did you hear what I was saying? No, no you froze up there. The last thing we heard was okay, you got so guys, guys together Bobby, in a couple of years. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I called up Bobby Eaton. I called up Arn Anderson. And I said, guys, we need to have a case of beer and I need to talk. I need some help. So right away, we head over to Bobby Eaton's garage in North Carolina. And we probably end up having about 12, 15 beers apiece. And I, and I said, 
Arn, Bobby, I need a, I, I'm going to be a truck driver. I need a great name. What's my name going to be? And I'm going to be a badass truck driver. And Arn looks at me and he puts his glasses down lower part of his nose and he looks at me and he goes, you're the black top bully. Oh, and, and I looked at him and I went, Arn, that is the greatest freaking name ever. And that's how it, that's how it came over a, a couple of cases of beer in Bobby Eaton's garage. Wow. A couple of cases, my ass, but nonetheless, <laughs> uh, Blacktop Bully to me, boy, talk about a name for a professional wrestling, you know, heel. And, you know, and that, that's absolutely perfect. Well, we are all the better for it. So thank you, Aaron Anderson. Um, before we go to the word association, I want to talk about your son. Uh, your yeah. son, Dakota. Uh, I haven't seen him for a long, long time. The last time I did, he was a young upstart getting started in the wrestling business. And, uh, but man, this kid, you know, with, with the genes he's got, he is destined for stardom. But then all of a sudden, his, uh, his career path changed a little bit. Yeah. He, uh, I tell you, I I didn't want him to get in the business to start with, but he was going to school at Mankato and he called me up. He says, dad, I'm getting in the business. So anyways, I ended up helping him get in and he signed a contract with the WWE. So he was at the, the school down in Florida and I just thought he was too young and he looks too young, but the kid ended up learning how to work really well. And he ended up getting a concussion down there. So he had a two-year contract. He got a concussion. They ended up not signing him again. So then he, then he went to uh, uh, TNA wrestling. And Hulk and Eric Bischoff kind of took him under their wing. And he really started learning how to work then on TV. And his last match, he ended up having a pretty good match. But Hulk told him, he says, Dakota, he says, uh, you got to head out of here. He says, I'm going to be quitting my job and Eric's losing his job. So Dakota calls me up and says, dad, what do I do? And I said, leave the business, get out of the business. So he ended up doing that and he was married and, and had a baby. And he came up here to Michigan and uh, he went to law enforcement. You know, he finished his degree, went through the academy here and became a cop. So, He's the deputy here, and he's a little bit more than just the deputy. He's a canine officer. He's on the dive team. He teaches at the academy. Oh, man. He just became a sergeant, and he's, wow. he's, like, he's like the guy. And he's, uh, how he just loves his job and loves his family. He's just a great, great kid. And that's why I'm here in Michigan now is just to help him out and, and be with him and the family. But he told me last night, he said, you tell Mick, I said, hi. So he's such he a great him. kid. I, I, you know, honest to God. And again, going back in the day, I remember talking to Lenny Lane, one of the independent guys about, uh, about Dakota. And, you know, he just spoke volumes about how good this kid was going to be. And then all of a sudden, you know, where did he go? But it sounds like he's really, really, uh, you know, following a great career path. And again, you know, he's got the father's genes, although it's, I find it kind of interesting that a guy that goes 107 miles an hour on the freeway in a 65 and, and bullies people on a blacktop has a, uh, has a sergeant cop for a son. And, and repos cars. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell, tell you what, right now, if he got into wrestling, I think he'd be really good because he's got the look now and uh, – you know, he, he's he's what they call in this business weathered. Ah, gotcha. He's, he's weathered, but he's got a great career now, and I, I'm so proud of him. That's fantastic. All right. You, know, uh, you guys got any questions, or should we throw some names at uh, Barry here? Not I say let's a question, but a, a comment. I, I see the demolition smash, your little lower third graphic. Yeah. You have to change it, judging by your backdrop, as construction smash. Looks like you're yeah. building and not destroying nowadays, Barry. Well, I, I I try to build, but I do destroy a lot of stuff too. Yeah. 
There's a lot of stuff I got to build Beer and I got to take excluded. it down. Beer cans yep. excluded. You know, the worst thing is when you build. Oh, we got a little bit of a freeze up. Wait a minute. You know, technology is good, but sometimes it just says I need a little break. Well, ladies and gentlemen, in the lower left of your screen, that's the blacktop bully in case you're just joining us. And and Mick, if I'm not mistaken, um, as I was doing my research, and I don't remember this, but Mr. Holen won? You know, that that may be, uh, you know, something. He's back. Probably not the the, 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 the yeah the the golf the golfer, but yeah, I know that sure. I mean I I've heard that he likes to golf, so I guess that's you know I guess you could kind of say that it'd be you know based on a based on part of his personality. Yeah, well we got Barry back, so you're talking about my golf gimmick. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I love the golf gimmick because I'm a golfer. Nice. Well, you know, I, I I can imagine being on the 18th, you know, and and you're tied for with, you know, with your opponent, and then Barry Darso forgets to sign his uh, his scorecard on the way to the clubhouse. I want to know who the hell's going to confront him, <laughs> and you know, and, and tell him Barry, you took a six on on that par three, not a not a three, so. Uh, I tell you, I, I tell you, Kurt, Kurt Hennig and I used to golf, and we'd be out in the in the middle of the night in the dark, oh, playing yeah. each other. He'd be winning, I'd be. We did it all the time. Oh that's man, oh, that, is, that is that's so great. What a what an era in in wrestling. All right, let Chris. You want to put a name up or or a picture up, and then I will uh, talk to Barry about these guys individually a little bit. That's Who is going to be the opening match? The opening match. Where's Chris? Okay. Oh, there we go. All right. Talk a little bit about your old boss, Cowboy Bill Watts. Cowboy Bill Watts was a rough son of a gun, tough son of a gun. And he kind of was one of those uh, bosses that – he wasn't a nice guy boss. He was a mean boss that knew exactly what he was doing, but he got the point across. Um, and when I say mean boss, it was, if you didn't do what he'd say, he beat the hell out of you, kind of a boss. You know what I mean? Wow. Oh, he, he knew wrestling better than anybody. And how do I say it? You know, no, no. And I'm saying this with respect. You know what I mean? Um, he was a tough guy, you know, and you know how, how, like if you're in school back in the old days, you get paddled. If you did something wrong in school, yeah, well, yeah. him, he'd, he'd kick you or, oh. or, you know what I mean? But wow. he taught you, he taught you how to be a professional wrestler. And that's what you needed back then. You needed that guy that would just tear you up, you know? I really like Bill Watts. Okay. And maybe I'm making that sound bad, but no, 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 absolutely not. No. You know, no. you know what I'm talking about? He wasn't a it wasn't like, hey Mick, why don't you take this front face lock and I'll do it? It was here's what you do, and he'd rip you into it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he'd make you learn it, you know? Well he his, was his show in his television, uh, and that mid south stuff, that was that was great, compelling yep. TV every week. Yeah, and that was Bill Watts being real enforcive and real, you know, it wasn't asking, it was telling you, this is what you do, you know, that that was Bill Watts. But, wow. boy, he was a smart son of a gun. Tremendous. Next name that we've got on our list is The Natural, Butch Reed. Oh, uh, Brother Butch was a great guy. Um, what a worker and what an interviewer. Um, I got to be really good friends with, with Butch, did a lot of traveling with him down in Louisiana. And uh, he, you couldn't ask for a nicer guy. He would do anything for you. Um, I sure would have hate to have gotten a fight with him in the, in the back alleys, though. He was a uh, tough son of a gun. You know, I, I remember he came into the AWA very briefly. 
you know, in the, in the mid-1980s when Vern was doing his Pro Wrestling USA. And I, I just always thought, man, there's so much that they could do with him. And But he was kind of in for the cup of coffee, and then he was gone. Yeah, and he was a good-looking guy, too. Great. Oh, man. Massive. Yeah. Just a yeah. fire hydrant guy. Yeah. All right. Next guy up on the list. Let me make sure that I am going in order here. And then uh, Chris will put up the picture of the junkyard uh, dog. Uh, now, you know how Hulk Hogan was over in the AWA? That was junkyard dog down in the south. He was over big. And he wasn't the worker like Nick Bockwinkle. Right. But the way he worked, all the baby feet or all the heels would work against him. And he was over so much. I really, really liked the junkyard dog. He was a good guy. And I, it was very sad when he passed away too. Um, you couldn't ask for a better guy. I mean, he, you know, down in Louisiana, he helped me out a lot. He lived about three, four blocks from me. And, I was young down there, and whenever I had questions, I'd talk to the junkyard dog, and he he was completely honest with you all the time. Yeah. The the, the next name that I'm seeing on the list, um, I've heard nothing but great things about an incredible worker. Why they gave him the red rooster gimmick, I'll never know, but Terry Taylor. Yeah, um, when I was down in Louisiana – um, Art Cruz, George Weingroff, um, Lanny Poffo, and Terry Taylor. Were, they were the guys that came to the ring before the matches, you know, before the people came in, and they'd help me train me. And Terry Taylor, in the ring during my matches, he would train me during the matches. I got you. And he was that good. And the greatest guy. And, and I, I just saw him a few weeks ago at, uh, Martin Anderson's son, uh, his funeral. And it was great to see Terry, but, uh, he, Terry's doing really well right now. He still works for the WWE in fact, but what a, what a good, good guy. I don't know why they put that gimmick on him. He had heat somewhere and they just said, Hey, let's make him a red rooster. You know what I mean? You know, what's interesting about it, I, I talked to Terry about that a couple of times, and he said, you know, the fans that will give him a hard time about the Red Rooster gimmick. He said, yeah, it wasn't the greatest thing in the world. He said, but I made more money than I ever made in my life. Yeah. You know, he said, so, so there is that. Uh, the one thing that I would say about Terry Taylor, and I, you probably haven't had this experience, and I mentioned it on the podcast before, Terry and I were doing voiceovers, for the uh, AWF Warriors of Wrestling round system back in the 90s. And we would sit in this little enclosed studio doing the voiceovers, and Terry liked his protein bars, uh, you know. And uh, if you've ever been in an enclosed space with Terry Taylor after he's had some protein bars, oh, my God, oh, it, it's like the tornado sirens were going off. Kids were going underneath their desk at school. I mean, it was uh, rough, rough stuff. But anyway, <laughs> you know, here nor there. Uh, let's talk about another guy. Let's get his picture up on the screen. And, and uh, I'm loving this, Barry, the, the memories that we've got here. Let's take another look as Chris gets another guy up. There he is. There's a very young, he was probably worth a buck 98 before he was the million dollar man. Uh, talk a little bit about Ted DiBiase. Oh, I, I first met Ted in Louisiana, too. All these guys from down there. And, you know, Ted, what a freaking worker back then. And he only got better yeah. as, as the time went on. But, you know, he always seemed to fall in the right place at the right time, you know, working with the right guys and making the money. But, you know, he was one of the guys you wanted to be on the card with because – when you watched him work, you wanted to work like him. I mean, he was really, really good. Wow. Um, and, and, and boy, talk about a guy who fell into the gimmick. Yeah. That million-dollar man. Yeah. Tremendous. Just tremendous. All right, Joe's got one here that I know uh, he, he's been waiting to ask about. Uh, well, hey, let's face it. It's uh, She's uh, uh, good on the eyes. 
Uh-huh. Missy Hyatt. Oh, I just talked to her not too long ago. What a sweetheart. Yeah. She she uh, actually introduced my wife to me. Oh, wow. Yeah, my wife was working at a nail salon in North Carolina, and Missy, I saw her one night, and I said, Missy, I, I need to meet a girl who doesn't know anything about wrestling, doesn't hang around the bars, doesn't, she goes, well, I don't know anybody like that, you know, and I said, well, that's who I want to meet, so it ended up being, well, I got the perfect girl, she goes to church, and that doesn't know anything about wrestling or anything, she introduced me to my wife, six weeks later, we got married. Wow. Six weeks? Yep. Yep. Wow. Isn't that something? How long have you been together with your wife then? I've been married 38 years. Wow. Congratulations. That's rare in this business. Yeah. So I just talked to Missy probably about two months ago, and she's doing fantastic. Or she's something else. Yeah. What what, what a personality. I love Missy. Um, Well, she's done a lot of stuff in her career. (laughs) (laughs) One way to put it. Yeah, I, I imagine she has. Moving on uh, to the to the next name, here's a guy that what I hear from people in the business is that he is one or was one sweetheart of a guy. And I'll wait for Chris to put up the picture. Oh, uh, Nikolai Volkov. Oh, I love Nikolai. Uh, that was terrible. I, I was with Nikolai probably a week before he passed away. Ugh. And and he said to me, he always says, Fat Darso, you know, he says, when are you going to drop that way? Like you always say, you know, and I, I go up and down all the time. And he says, you got to be healthy like me, you know. And it was so sad when he died. There's not one person in this business that didn't love Nikolai. And I talk to Nikolai's son every once in a while, and he's just a great, great guy too, but. Yeah, he's Nikolai's one of the guys in this business. When when we'd go do the signings, he'd always come up and talk to all the guys and everything. And he's one that's really missed a lot. Fantastic. Well, sticking on the whole Russian theme, somebody that uh, you obviously worked with quite extensively, Uncle Ivan Ivan Koloff. Oh, Uncle Ivan! I I learned so much from Uncle Ivan. Uh, what a gentleman! Um, he was probably one of the tougher guys in, in life. I mean, he was always hurt. He, you didn't even know he was hurt and he'd work and work. I used to have to scream at him in the ring to get him out of the ring. We have our broadways with the rock and roll express and I couldn't get him out of the ring. He was just a machine and sad that he died too. You know, I mean, there's so many people that have died. I, I can't even stand talking about it, but what a good guy. What a good guy. You know, and, it, and it's interesting, too, because uh, the heels in wrestling, especially the foreign heels, you know, you talk about, you know, Nikolai Volkov, and you, and you talk about Ivan Koloff. And outside the ring, they are the nicest guys in the world. The nicest, yeah. Good uh, family people, really good family people. Oh, I, I know. Ivan, you know, his his uh, wife was on Facebook all the time, you know, and, and uh, I know that Ivan was a very religious guy, and... Uh, yeah, very, very much missed. You mentioned a tag team, so let's talk about them a little bit. The Rock and Roll Express. I I've had uh, probably the best matches of my life with those guys, as as all different gimmicks. Um, my last match that I had in my career was with the Rock and Roll Express. I uh, I got a new knee about five years ago. And I wrestled the Rock and Roll Express in North Carolina at our last match. And I, I wasn't supposed to get in the ring. And Ricky says, Barry, come on, let's, let's get it. It'll be the last match. And I hobbled around the ring. I didn't even move. And we had a match, and that was the, the last match. But when, when, I, uh, when I was in Watts' territory, Nikolai and I, we worked with those guys. And back then, we were the two big monsters. And the Rock and Roll came in. And there were these little skinny dudes. And I remember Bill Watts saying, you beat the crap out of these guys, you know, because he believed in the real thing. Yeah. And then Nikolai said, but if we take a few bumps for these guys, we're going to get these guys over. And I remember Watts going, well, if you really want to do that, well, we ended up doing that. We flew for these guys. 
they got over so big, we ended up having an angle with them, and we made so much money down there. When I left there and got to Charlotte, North Carolina, I was with Dusty, and Dusty says, we need to get you a tag team for you and Ivan. Who should we bring in? I said, we need to bring the Rock and Roll Express in. So we ended up bringing the Rock and Roll Express in. We worked an angle with those guys. We worked our broadways every day, all that for the championship, dropped the belts to them. They were over so big. They were so fun to work with. Um, great, great guys. And they're still working. Yeah. They're still working. Give me I, a break. Yeah. And not, still just, in the ring. not just going through the motions. I mean, Ricky is still flying outside of the ring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you couldn't ask for nicer guys, though, too, you know. But they're over. Oh, they're over. Well, that's sort of, you, you had mentioned his name earlier, and I got to ask me, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Oh, I love Dusty. Dusty was one of the reasons that uh, I got down to Louisiana with Bill Watts. Um. I was in uh, New Zealand working for Mrs. Maivia and in Hawaii, New Zealand, Tonga, all there. When I came back, I called Dusty and I got his name from Mark Lewin. And uh, Dusty says, well, come on down. You know, Mark gave you my number. Come on down to Tampa. So I went down to Tampa. I met Dusty. And that was when Florida Championship Wrestling was booming. Sure. I mean, sure. oh, was it huge? Mulligan. I mean, all the top guys were down there. And so I went down there and I met everybody. And then Dusty says, I'm going to send you to Atlanta. And then they're going to send you to Bill Watts and you're going to learn how to work. And that was Dusty who did all that for me. And then, you know, when I went to uh, Crockett's territory, Dusty was one who called me and said, come on in, Barry. And, you know, so that that's the whole story. Dusty was the real deal. He He knew the business and he's the one that could get you the jobs. You know, it's interesting when they talk about the the greatest superstars of all time in the wrestling business, how can you not mention Dusty Rhodes? I mean, yeah. you know, outside of Claire and Hogan and the 80s or whatever, nobody was over like Dusty Rhodes. And, and you know, to hear his students talk, the ones that he's brought into the business for the yeah. WWE over the years, they just loved this guy. Boy, the guy couldn't fish, though. Yeah. <laughs> We, uh, I, I, I call him up. I say, Hey, Dusty, we're in Montana for three days. I said, you going to go fishing with me? Yeah. Hey, Barry, baby. Yeah. I'll outfish you, you know? Yeah. So we went, went and stopped off at a little tackle store, bought a couple of fishing rods and everything. We fished three different streams in Montana and we caught trout every one. And we had the time of our life. I'll never forget that with Dusty. I mean, it was it was fun to be outside the wrestling business with him because he was just a great guy. It seemed like he was the same. What you saw, like Dusty doing a promo, that was Dusty. I mean, that was just Dusty inside or outside of the ring. He was a character. Yeah, he was a regular guy. That that was him. He was the, the average guy, you know, the plumber, the... You know, construction worker, the whatever, that was him. Nice. Great, great memories. Uh, talk about this this next individual we're going to get a picture of. And, and uh, you talk about guys who, unfortunately, had their careers uh, cut short. And that's uh, wow. Magnum T.A. Talk a little bit about uh, Terry Allen. Oh, Magnum. You know, he, uh, he was Bill Watts's young boy. You know, he... He ended up uh, really learning how to work for Bill Watts and became the champion down there. And when when you left Louisiana and went to Crockett's territory, you know, they were grooming Terry to be like Ric Flair or whatever. And, and not too many guys can be in that position to where you can do that. It's, it's not like, hey, Barry, we're going to make you the world champion. You're the world champion. Well, it really takes somebody extra. And Terry was that. Yeah. And they were making him that. And it was so sad when he got in that car accident. I was in the territory at the time because he was going to be the guy, you know. And it was so sad. And what a super, super nice guy. 
when you worked with him, you know, cause he worked with everybody. He didn't just eat you up or do whatever he, he wanted good matches with you. And he was stiff too, but, uh, he was good. He was good. Really nice guy. Well, and and a part of, you know, one of the most infamous matches, if you will, the I quit match with Tully. Right. You know, I mean, right. that was a hell of an angle. I, I mean, just incredible, fantastic. Across. You know, and, and, and Tully, Tully was a great worker, too. Those, yeah. those two had some matches that were just incredible. Well, another guy who did all right for himself uh, inside of the ring was a, a gentleman by the name of Rick Flair. Rick Flair, I uh, I talked to Rick. Uh, shoot, he called me probably about a half a year ago. We talked for quite a while, and then I, I saw him on the road not too long ago. Now, Rick helped me out a lot in this business too. When I when I was first going to Hawaii. I met I met Rick at the airport, and I just got out of Eddie Sharkey's camp, and I I saw him I saw him walking down the deal, and I and I said, "Hey, K Fabe," and he looked at me and right away gave me the handshake and said, "Who are you?" And I introduced myself, and I told him I was going to Hawaii and then New Zealand. He goes, "Hey, I'm going to be in New Zealand in five weeks. Are you there?" I said, "Yeah." So we ended up hooking up in New Zealand, and now this is the greatest wrestler of all time. I'm I'm hooking up with him in New Zealand. I've never even been in this business before. So I spent four weeks in New Zealand drinking beer on the road, having the time of my life with the world champion. Talking talking about being the luckiest guy, right? So then that was kind of my in to being in wrestling everywhere. All I mentioned is, yeah, I was with Rick over there and, you know, Rick gives me his telephone number and anytime you want to talk, call. So all the different territories I was in, Rick would look me up. I'd get the car, we'd drive, we'd drink, we'd, you know, party, do whatever. And then he'd take off to the next territory. And when I was in Florida Championship Wrestling, that's when he called me up. He says, Barry, you got to come to Crockett's territory. He says, we're going to, we're going to, bust that territory wide open. I said, well, Rick, I said, I make an incredible money here and I love it here. He says, ah, get the hell out of there. And, and so I says, well, who else is coming? He goes, Arn Anderson's coming. And I met Arn many years before that. I says, well, if Arn comes, I'm coming. So both Arn and I went there and that was because of Rick. So that's, uh, has, uh, has Rick been his own worst enemy over the years? Rick is, uh, yeah. <laughs> Rick is Rick Flair. I mean, yeah. when he goes to the bar, he just got a check for ten thousand, but he spent fifteen thousand. He, you know, he really is Rick Flair, the limo driving, jet flying son of a gun. He's he's Rick Flair, and. Uh, and he hasn't changed at all. I, Bill, Bill and I were up at a Hilton somewhere just a couple months ago. All of a sudden, Rick comes in. Didn't know we were there. We're sitting at the bar. And Rick looks at me. He goes, "Woo!" Next oh. thing you know, drinks for the bar, right? And I said, "Rick, you don't have to do that." He goes, "Oh no!" He says, "The promoter's paying for it." Well, pretty soon there's about fifty people in there, a hundred people. Now he's buying beers for everybody. The tab was about fifteen thousand dollars. He signs the check, goes to bed. You know? <laughs> I mean, I love a legacy. I love absolute legacy. Uh, I got to kind of shift territories on you a little bit here. I want to talk about two guys actually at the same time that I know you are very familiar with, uh, and that would be Tito Santana and Rick Martel. Oh. Two incredible workers. I was just with Tito uh, in Indianapolis a couple of days ago, and Tito still gets in the ring and works. Mm-hmm. He, he he's got to be uh, uh, he's got to be sixty eight. I don't know, but sure, yeah. He he looks phenomenal still, and he's he's on the road doing the autograph stuff. But now Rick, I haven't seen Rick now probably for three four years. And I heard he doesn't go out and do any of the signings or anything. Right. But those two guys together as the strike force, 
two incredible workers and two great, great guys. And everything they did in the ring was for the match. It wasn't for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and a lot of the guys in the business weren't like that. And I thought that's how we were. We were for the match, not for us. And, uh, that's, that's why I think we had so many good matches. Absolutely. Well, that's, I was going to say, that's why it works. You know, yeah. you, get, you know, you know what your job is and, and it's to sell the match and, and make your opponents look good and, and make money. And, and, uh, I, I had heard the same thing about Rick Martell or, uh, about Ricky in, in terms of him not wanting to be a part of the business. I right. saw him in Cauliflower Alley, but that was years ago. And he's just kind of, yeah, I believe he's still up in Canada, kind of doing his own yep. thing and just removed from the business. And what a nice guy. Yeah, he was uh, very successful in the real estate business. Okay. And did very well. Last time I saw him, I, I was doing a show in Canada. It was probably about two to three years ago. Bill and I were up there. We sat and talked for quite a while. But he just said, I just don't even want to travel or be around the business anymore. And, you know, I, I can see that, you know, when, when you're around it so much, you know, it's it gets to you after a while. The travel. Well, yeah. Great, great matches with uh, with you and Tito and, and uh, good stuff, man. Great memories. Well, another guy who uh, I don't think anybody can argue was an incredible worker. Um, I never had the fortune of working with him. But um, every everything that everybody has said about him, this guy is just the salt of the earth. Ricky Steamboat. Oh, my God. Ricky in the ring. The last match I had with Rick, I said, Rick, just tell me what to do. And he goes, no, you're the heel. And I said, no, I'm listening to you. And he's, he's so phenomenal that, you know, we had a half-hour match and it went by so fast. But like I was saying earlier, he was he was very instrumental in me becoming uh, Demolition Smash. He was he was up in New York, and I was at his gym, and he said, Barry, he goes, uh, do you want a job with Vince? And I said, yes, definitely. He says, well, let me make a call. Well, he went back in the back room and called Vince while I was at the gym. And he said, Vince, you need to take a look at Barry Darso, he just finished up here and he's going to go to Japan. You got to scoop him up before Japan. And uh, then uh, he told Vince, told Rick, he says, Well, tell him I'll give him a call in the next few days. And that morning is when he called. So I love Ricky. I, he's incredible, incredible nice guy. And I just saw him uh, probably about six months ago and he still looks great. Oh, he does. He looks for yeah. me. Could be on the cover of GQ magazine. Same yeah. He, he was yeah. one of the guys that if you wrestled him every day, I'd still be wrestling. Wow. He couldn't he couldn't hurt you. Wow. What a compliment. I mean that that really says it all. That's that's, that's fantastic. And uh, I I met him a couple of times and like you say, uh, what a gem of a guy and what an incredible worker. Speaking of gems of a guy, let's talk about one of your old classmates uh, from up here in the Robbinsdale area who made a name for himself, uh, picked up the accent, uh, had a name change, and uh, teamed up with Uncle Ivan for a while, and that is your buddy Nikita Koloff. Nikita Koloff, what a gentleman. You know, uh, I've, uh, I've known him since, you know, junior high or even elementary school probably, and it's funny that, you know, I was I was in Florida Championship Wrestling. I haven't talked to him for a while. And next thing you know, uh, Joe Laurinaitis calls me up and says, hey, Scott's getting in the business. And I, I was like, no way. And he says, yeah, they want him down in, uh, in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina as a Russian. And they're going to call him Nikita Koloff. And I thought, God, is that the greatest thing in the world? So, you know, him being an athlete, I know he could he could do it. Yeah. And he gets so serious about things that I knew if, if if they wanted him to really be the character, he would be that. Well, when I when I went up to the, the territory, to cause they needed a third guy in there to kind of help because he was just learning how to work. He ended up becoming Nikita Koloff, changed his 
bank to Nikita Koloff, everything, the phone numbers, everything. He didn't speak English to anybody, and I was kind of his interpreter. So, yeah, and on my on all my stuff, I had Crusher Khrushchev, too. It wasn't Barry Darso, but I could speak English. So we'd go in the bank, and he'd, he'd talk Russian to me, and I'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he needs to take $15 out of the bank today. Is that all right? You know, stuff like that. And the people in Louisiana or in uh, in uh, North Carolina, they really believed he was a Russian. That's how he got over. They really thought that Uncle Ivan was his uncle. Huh. So so he took it to the, extre- the extreme and made it work. And, you know, he's a preacher now, and he's just, you know, he's a good he's a good man. What a monster of a guy he was and that, that yeah. Russian sickle, especially the one he gave to David Crockett on television, yeah. uh, you know, which, of, of course, is legendary. But, you know, and again, with all this time, I haven't had the opportunity to meet him. But, uh, boy, he fit yeah. that character. Yeah. You know, I, I was so proud of him because he didn't go through a camp or anything. He didn't. You no, know, and he ended up becoming a really – really good worker in the ring for what he did. Wow. Well, sort of the, shall we say, opposite of that is is a guy who I worked with quite a bit in the AWA, and I'll set it up. You had talked about earlier about, you know, wanting to come home and and be in Minnesota. Well, this next guy, um, Mr. Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect. I remember a conversation I had with Kurt in the control room at the AWA, and this was when Vern had finally given him a guarantee. And I asked Kurt, I go, why, you know, why haven't you left for the WWF yet? He goes, Vern's paying me a shitload of money. I work maybe 10 days a month. I get to be home with my family. Vern's going to go under, and I am going to go to the WWF, but why would I do it now? Give, right. give me give me some stories about Kurt. I mean, Mike, I've got so many myself that I've shared on here, but I, my God, was he an incredible worker. And I hate to say this in a way, he yeah. was. He, he was Mr. Perfect. He really was. You know, um, when he was in the AWA, he could work, but he didn't really become the worker till he got to the WWF. When he got to the WWF, he, his whole, everything changed. He really became Mr. Perfect and Kurt Hennig. And, you know, I, I talked to him all the time. And I remember one day Vince told Jack, Blackjack Lanza, he said, go talk to Barry. I want Kurt. And there were so many of the guys that I talked to that say, Hey, come on up here, you know, but, I called Kurt and I said, Kurt, they really want you bad here. And he, Kurt told me that same story you did. And I said, but Kurt, you got to come. I said, you got you to gotta break the ice and get away from Vern because they want you now. If you don't come now, you may not get up here. I said, that's just how it, how it is. And he thanked me. And about a month later, Kurt came up there. And they were trying to figure out the gimmick for him. And it took it took a while for him to, be, you know, become Mister Perfect. But once he did that, I mean, he was he should have been the world champion. I don't know how many times up there, but you know, they I think they thought that he was better getting other people over because he was so good and he could stay over. They didn't want him to be the champion. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, sure. He was one of those guys that he could do anything, and they knew it. And even though he got beat, you know, him and Bret Hart, holy cow, oh. best matches you could ever have, even to this day, yeah. some of the best matches. Well, and then pairing Kurt with Bobby Heenan, I mean, my goodness, what a what a yeah. team those two made. Yeah, it, yeah I, I, I wish Kurt was still alive because if he would have saw his son in the business and been with his grandkids and, you know, it's just, it's just terrible that he passed away. Well, and, and one final word about Kurt, and I know we've mentioned this before. Uh, my time in the business, there was nobody who liked to rib more than Kurt Henning. Yeah. You know what Kurt did to me one day? 
<laughs> no, but I love oh it. Here. Oh boy! So, so I'm up. I'm on Malax Lake. It's about thirty below zero. I'm up. I'm up ice fishing in a fish house. I got my truck parked next to the fish house. Kurt comes up with his buddy Pat Johnson. You know, I had a few drinks in them. They, they, you know, we're about probably ten miles out in the lake. They come out there. They bust in the fish house, have a few beers and everything. They said, "Yeah, come on up to the casino." So. Me and another one of my buddies are up there. We said, okay, we'll be up there in about a half hour. Well, he sneaks in my truck. He takes the the battery cable off the the deal out in the truck, and he throws a dead fish in my truck and locks the door. <laughs> so, so now they're like they're like ten miles away. He calls me up. He goes, Barry, when are you gonna come? I said, All right, I'm coming. I get out there. There's this dead fish sitting in the front of my car, big old walleye, stinks up the whole thing. I try to start the truck. It doesn't start. I said, you son of a... Now, it's 30 below zero outside. We're freezing our asses off. And Kurt and Pat Johnson are blinking their headlights up on the highway at us, you know? Oh, that's great. So then they leave. Then he leaves. And then now I'm going, now we're stuck out here. 30 below... Holy shit. So then he calls me back about 15 minutes later. But I just took, put the battery cable back on me. And oh, God. Oh, that's a tremendous. Oh, man. Classic Kurt oh. Henning. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Thank you for that. that that's, you know, I talk to Louise all the time. And, uh, oh. I mean, just the, she has such reverence for Kurt. Um, talks about him all the time, like, you know, like he's, he's still here. And, uh no doubt about it. Had he seen Joe in the ring, and you know, even Amy for the short time that she yeah. was wrestling, he would have been just popping his buttons. Oh man, great business, guys! Great business. Yep. Yeah, and so many stories. Yeah. As uh, as we're getting ready to uh, to wrap it up here, uh, just got a couple more questions for you, Barry. When you got old, you know, you retire from the in-ring competition. Did you ever think about doing some of the stuff backstage, you know, where they're, you know, they got the producers or the creative or whatever, or did you just decide, you know, once you were done actively in the ring that you were going to kind of, you know, not well, be as quite involved? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because at WCW, I did ask if I could uh, get a job in the office and everything, but it was such a close link group of guys there, you know, the NWO guys and everything. It was, they weren't going to bring, you know, a Ric Flair, Arn Anderson guy in to their group. You know, it's almost like you got these little groups and, and you got to just be at the right place at the right time. Yeah. But after that, no, then I just didn't even want anything to do with it anymore. I, I didn't want to travel at all anymore. And, you know, even now, you know, Bill will call me up and go, hey, Barry, we got a date here and there. You know, and I'd say, I thought we were only going out two days a month, you know. And, you know, it's, you know, you got to be very thankful that you can make money now and all that. But there's there's more to it now, you know. I, oh, you sure there is. I, I, when I see these grandkids come up after school and they're yelling, yeah. pop, 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 you know, I mean, I don't care how much money you have. No. It's just I, I love them, you know. Well, Barry, you've said that there was one guy in the business that you did not work with, but you wish you would have. And that some guy, I think his name was, uh, or is Hulk Hogan. You might have heard of him. Yep. Talk a yep. little bit about the Hulkster. Uh, I get along with the Hulkster very well. You know, I, we're not best friends or anything, but uh, when I see him, he says, hey, Barry, how you doing? You know, we talk and chit-chat and everything. Um, he's the guy that made this wrestling business. I mean, he's the one that put it up to the next pedestal, I, I feel. Yeah. And I wish I could have worked an angle with him. And I, and I think I would have had great matches with him. But it just never came to that point, you know. Um, I think if I would have stayed Demolition Smash after the tag team broke up and I would have kept Smash going, I think I would have been able to have a, a run with him. But it just never fit to to be with them. You know, we were partners a few times, and you know, but it just uh, it just wasn't there. And uh, you know, Hulk would pick the guys who are going to make him the most amount of money. Sure. And 
I just wasn't ever in that spot as a single to to be that main event, you know, like the boss man or Andre or you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, but I sure would have. I, I sure would have loved to have beat him. Oh yeah, Barry. You know we're going to wrap it up here, and and I think Hogan was a was a good place to end. But um, not to get too sentimental here, but you know, in all the years that I've been in the business, and I talked to Joe and Chris about this ahead of the podcast. I don't think that there is any guy out there, and I'm not saying you weren't appreciated in the business because sure you. Um, and but I hear now you're talking about your work ethic and getting into the characters as you did and I don't know of anybody who is more of a Hall of Fame guy than you are and, and I mean that sincerely not only in the ring but also outside the ring and the way you had adapted to every single character that you were given uh, you know, to the point where people were saying, well, you know, who's Barry Darso coming in this time? It didn't matter because you aced the character. And I've known you for a long time. And talk about a consummate professional wrestler. Uh, your dedication to the business is one thing. But as a human being, man, I'm telling you, you're one of my favorite people on the planet. And I am absolutely honored to call you a friend. And that's a shoot. Mick, I, I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. And, and you've been a friend forever, too. And, and thank you. That means a lot. More than welcome, buddy. So, guys, thank you for everything. It was nice meeting you guys. And, Chris, I'll see you in the gym. Yes, Joe, yes you will. Joe, continue being a heel. You're a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You won't see me in the gym, Barry. So don't you know? Don't be looking for me. You know, <laughs> unless unless I'm at the you know the the beverage counter. I you know I may be there. But God love you, Barry. Continued All success right. on the road with you and Bill. And you are your aces, bud. All right. Well, if you ever if you ever need anything, you guys got my number. Call me. Whatever. Alrighty. Thank, Thank you so you. much, my friend. All right. Uh, thanks, Barry. Yep. Take care. Bye bye. All right, there he is, uh, the great uh, Barry Dorsaw. And guys, the, the last two weeks, uh, I know that we went a little bit long with this one, and that's just fine. You can't, two hours really does not do Barry and his career justice because there's still a lot of things that we could have talked about. But hopefully over the last two weeks, people have really gotten a, a sense of who he is. And I feel like, Anything that you can ask him, like he, he was an open book and you got to appreciate people like that. You know, he's uh, the one thing that I would say, Chris and Joe, that I really took out of this is his his commitment to his character. And again, you know, as I said, in this day and age of professional wrestling, people are kind of tuned into, yeah, well, I know what this guy is really like outside the yeah. ring. And, you know, he's really not a tough guy. And, you know. John Cena one week, he's wrestling next week, he's making movies. Barry comes from an era when you believed. And his character and the way that he got into it and the way that he presented it, as I said, the blacktop bully, I'm telling you, if you're the average fan, you don't want to fuck with this guy. I mean, this is, he was a blacktop bully and you believed it. And yes. to his credit, what a guy. And I wasn't, you know, being overdramatic there, he's a great friend in this business, and I'm honored to know him. Well, and you add in that the legacy of Robbinsdale, Minnesota, Barry held, not only held his own, but he helped to elevate Robbinsdale, Minnesota for mm -hmm. the incredible array of talent that has come out of there. And one of the other names that we didn't mention was Medusa Michelli. Yeah, He's yeah. from Robbinsdale as well. I mean, it's just incredible. Something in the water, something in the beer in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, yeah. gave us all of these incredible, phenomenal professional wrestlers. Yeah, and not to mention, you know, John Nord and, and you know, yeah. Road Warriors. So, I mean, the, yeah. The, the Brady Boone. Brady Boone, yeah. Yeah, the, the list goes on and on and on and and so hopefully you guys even though uh it was he didn't work in the awa but i thought the answer was very interesting you know about you know maybe Vern might have felt a little intimidated 
that maybe, you know, the, the Robbinsdale crew would have taken over. So uh, hopefully, you know, you guys got a lot out of it and we certainly enjoyed it. I know we went a little bit long, guys. Let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up, uh, bring it home, as they say. Uh, we want to do some shout outs here and then. And, uh, uh, um. Oh. Well, we got Chris Froze. Oh, he's back. There now. he is. He's back. No, he's and he's froze up again. Really? I'm, I'm here. So uh, there we are. There we are. No, that's weird. Okay. See, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I'm a, sl I'm a, I'm a slow mo sexual. What can I say? Hey, hey. Okay. Uh, uh, let's, uh, okay. Hey, shout outs. Let's, uh, let's go and yeah, shout outs. Yes. Am I going? You're up. Yes. Okay. Yes, you go, man. My shout out is to a great wrestling veteran who's been in the business literally 50 some years as a wrestler, as a trainer, as an all around great guy. And in Waterloo this summer, he is getting a long, deserved uh, Jack Briscoe Award uh, for Excellence in the Business. I'm talking about my buddy Les Thatcher. You won't find a nicer guy anywhere. So, Les, we love you. We'll see you in Waterloo. My shout-out is to somebody who has, has not been in the business but has appreciated it for nearly 60 years. This one might be easy, but I'm going to give a shout-out to my mom. Oh. She was, it still is, an incredible wrestling fan. And even though I have been in the business and around it since 1985, when I go to see her and wrestling is on, she still is that eight-year-old kid. And she still believes. So, Mom, mwah, for you. Jinkuya Barzo. And uh, mine is not going to be as emotional or as personal as your guys, uh, but I'm going to go with Tim Henderson at Tim Henderson zero two on Twitter. Big uh, fan of the podcast, big follower of ours, and uh, always comments and uh, always is uh, supporting it. So uh, there you go. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks to Soda Stick. Thanks to Seventh Avenue Pizza. Um, if you want to get a, a hoodie like Joe's got, you want to get a T-shirt. Uh, soda6co.com, uh, 7th Avenue Pizza. There you go. Yep. And he's even got his uh, gimmick there in the gimmick. See, it's been two weeks and I just... The heel the Polish, Joe. The heel Polish. Oh, man. <laughs> Dude, I swear to God, I had no, I, I was like, oh, damn. I was sitting here and I was just going to... I had some cheese and some wine. I was like, I was just going to... Well, it's amazing. it's amazing how just one misplaced word can change what you are trying to say it. So like yeah. I've told my kids all along, it's not what you say, it's how you, how say, you say it. In it, my yes. case, it was what I said, no matter how I said it. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole approach was there was a semblance and I remember them coming out. Yeah, they, you know, I, I thought of the Road Warriors, but again, demolition, they deserve their spot in professional wrestling history, and they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, Vince. <laughs> <laughs>